0: Good day, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Cliff Notes on the Global Manufacturing Picture. I'm Cliff Waldman. I'm the host of this show, one of many on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Hard as it is to believe, we are getting into the last two months of the year, and we at Talk Radio want to start looking at what the U.S. manufacturing sector might look like in the year 2022. Uh, We are doing so amidst uh, a set of circumstances that individually have not been seen in the generation and that collectively might actually expand our understanding of economic forces. To see through the turmoil, to help us understand what what all this, this difficulty would result in for 2022 in the U.S. manufacturing sector, I am very pleased to say, that we are rejoined by Chad Motre, the chief economist at the National Association of Manufacturers. He is no stranger to talk radio audiences. He's been on my show and other of our talk radio programs multiple times. At NAM, as everybody knows, I think, he serves as NAM's economic forecaster, spokesperson on economic issues. He frequently comments on current economic conditions for manufacturers through professional presentations, which he gives a great many of, as well as media interviews and has appeared on various news outlets, including CNBC. He is the director of the Center for Manufacturing Research at the Manufacturing Institute, which is the social impact arm of the NAM. There he leads efforts to produce thought leadership, data and analysis of relevance to business leaders in the manufacturing sector. I got to know Dr. Motre before that. Prior to that, he was the chief economist and director of economic research at the Small Business Administration's Office of Advocacy, eight years, 2002 to 2010. There, he was responsible for researching the importance of entrepreneurship to the U.S. economy, an, an issue that we both have a passion for. And hi, there, he highlighted various issues of importance to small business owners, policy and academics. In addition to discussing economic and policy trends, his personal research has focused on the importance of educational attainment to both self-employment and economic growth, and his interest in education, he certainly lived it, because prior to the SBA, Dr. Motray was the dean of the School of Business Administration at Robert Morris College in Chicago, which is now Robert Morris University of Illinois. Under his leadership, the business school had rapid growth, adding new programs and new campuses. He began the development of an MBA program there that began accepting students after his departure and created a business institute for students to work with local businesses on classroom projects and internships. Dr. Motre is a former board member of the National Association for Business Economics. We are both very involved with that organization. He is also the former president and chairman of the National Economist Club, the local N.A.B.E. chapter for Washington, D.C. He holds a doctorate in economics from Southern Illinois University at Carbondale and a bachelor's and master's degree in economics from Eastern Illinois University. He is a certified business economist and was part of N.A.B.E.'s initial graduating class for that distinction in 2015. In 2014, he received the Outstanding Graduate Alumni Award from Eastern Illinois University, and in 2015, he accepted the Alumnus Achievement Award from Landlake College in Mattoon, Illinois, where he earned his associate's degree in business administration. Chad, welcome back to the show.
1: Wow, that's a humbling, humbling, uh, introduction there, Cliff. Thank you for that. I believe I was your first guest, so I'm always happy to be back, uh, on the program. You indeed were, and I
0: should, I should have said that. Um, I have been with <laughs> Talk Radio for three years now, and Chad was my first guest on my first program, and I'll always be grateful because I think he helped me get through the experience of, of that first program. Chad, uh, we are facing a set of circumstances that, um, i I think are going to just go into the textbooks these days, but I'm going to start off with a difficult problem, but when you and I and our economics colleagues look at u s manufacturing performance data in recent months and particularly uh manufacturing output growth data. I, I, I think it's safe to say that the first thing a lot of us see are the industries and the variables that are affected by this god-awful semiconductor shortage. So I'm going to just flat out ask you, how, I ask really two questions here. How much will the semiconductor shortage impact the short-term outlook for U.S. manufacturing performance? And do you believe that the chip shortage is going to endure as a long-term challenge?
1: Well, the, you're right. That's something I hear about all the time. And, and, you know, just a little r- a refresher. We do, the NAM does an outlook survey, the NAM Manufacturers Outlook Survey. And, and I ask, what are the top challenges facing your business right now? And the, actually the top four are all somewhat interrelated, right? And, and I, I will get to the chip shortage question. But just the number one, uh, increased raw material costs. Number, yes, that's, that's something I hear, I've heard all year long. Number two is workforce. Number three is supply chain challenges, and number four is transportation. And as you know, Cliff, those are all intertwined because, you know, the reality is the supply chain challenges and transportation issues are actually Uh, exacerbating the the price challenge. As it relates to chips itself, you know, we think about chips, we think about the auto sector, and and, and, as you know, um, motor vehicle production, if you look at the industrial production data that we got in September, motor vehicle and parts production fell 7.2% in one month. (laughs) <laughs> one month. Right. Um, and if you look at it really since January, it's down almost 16%. Right. Uh, you know, the overall, the motor vehicle sector should be producing around 17 million vehicles or so, and instead, you know, we're, we're lucky to be getting around 13 million annualized units. And so that's having a very profound impact on the auto sector and uh, their ability to, to, to produce. You've seen uh, some auto manufacturers have had to uh, shut down production for, for a couple weeks just because they don't have enough chips. Um, most most of the auto manufacturers will tell you that they've, you know, they've only been able to produce through really smart uh, you know, management of that supply chain, right? Um, and so that that certainly is a big problem. Uh, but we also have to recognize that chips are not just in auto. So, I mean, that, that's what gets most of the press. But you're seeing, you know, if you're going in and buying an appliance, right, that, that, that you know, anything that has a chip in it, which is pretty much everything these days, uh, is being slowed down from this chip shortage. And so that that I mean that's not a problem that's going to go away tomorrow. It's not going to go away by Christmas uh, or, or Hanukkah or whatever holiday you're celebrating <laughs> over the holiday. Um, and, and it's going to be one that we're going to be dealing with for a while. And I think, much like the rest of the supply chain challenges, I think that there's cautious optimism that by the time we get to mid 2022, certainly the second half of 2022, that you'll see some stabilization in some of these these issues. But I've heard, and I know you've heard as well, that, that it's going to take a year or so, maybe even two, for us to fully get through this supply chain issue as it relates to chips, right? That, you, know, you can't just produce chips overnight. You've got to go out and and invest in it. And you've seen the, the, the semiconductor companies make some pretty shrewd investments to be able to hopefully solve this long term. But in the short term, you're going to see some challenges, certainly going in uh, at least to the first half or so of 2022.
0: All right. So that—that that is, uh, I, I'm thinking in, in structuring your questions. I'm thinking there are three very big red lights here. That is certainly one of them. Let me get to the second red light. And of course, these things are all related. And and if, when you talk about supply chains, the the the, uh, the immediate next question relates to concerns about inflation. Inflation inflation has not erupted as a con. Inflation erupted as a concern. In 2008, but not in quite the way that it is now, we're thinking about that. We're starting to have um, conversations about the 1970s now, which may be a a little bit uh, of an overstretch here. But let me ask you, are you concerned that inflation pressures, such as they are in the U.S., is going to force the Federal Reserve into a growth-inhibiting tightening of monetary policy, do you consider this scenario to be a, a, a significant risk for U.S. manufacturing demand?
1: So, you know, I've been at the for 10 years, and this is the first time ever that we've had rising raw material costs be the number one challenge, and it's been that way all year long. Um, and, 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 you know, if you look at the producer price index, uh, which is, which is it's showing, really, you know, raw material costs overall, in the most recent data, it was up uh, 8.6% year-over-year, 8.6% year, year-over-year, so It's just hard to believe, right? And even if you strip out and just look at core inflation, you know, it was it was still uh, roughly six, right? So, you know, that's unheard-of numbers. And, uh, now, with that said, we're obviously, as you move into 2022, uh, we're obviously comparing it to a better base year, right? So, so the Fed is going to be assisted by a better base year next year. Um, Hopefully, we can solve some of these supply chain issues, right? Uh, Right. There's a structural element to that, certainly as it relates to workforce. But I expect uh, that you will start seeing these numbers start to come back to earth a little bit. But with that said, I also agree with you that this is a problem that's not going away. And I think that the (laughs) the Fed uh, has learned to regret using the word transitory, right? These these pricing pressures are – Stronger and longer than I think that they that they maybe thought initially, just even a few months ago. Certainly going to be going through the holidays. Certainly into next year. And I would argue that even by the time we get to the end of 2022, you're still going to have core inflation that's around two and a half percent, maybe even higher than that. Uh, and, and, and even though you might start seeing some some improvements on the supply chain by the time we get to tw- into 2022. I think the real question mark out there, and the issue that's going to continue to keep inflationary pressures kind of first and foremost, are wage pressures, right? Uh, We're seeing uh, – because every company is having trouble finding talent, you're seeing uh, wage pressures across the board. And I think that that's not a problem that's going to go away, uh, even as we move into 2022 and 2023 – and so I would expect uh, that inflation will still be a hot button issue at the end of this time next year. Largely, but pressures are going to keep it well above the Fed's goal of two percent. Um, as far as the Fed, uh, I do expect that uh, on November second and third, they're going to meet. They're going to agree to start tapering their asset purchases. Right now, they're buying 120 billion dollars in assets every month, uh, and I think by the by the time we get to mid twenty two uh they will stop that and they'll start raising rates potentially as soon as the September twenty twenty two meeting. So I think that uh yes these inflationary pressures are gonna continue to keep the Fed kind of on its toes. Um and uh they're gonna certainly I think you've seen them react to that by starting the taper process and perhaps starting the rate increase a little sooner than they might have said three or four or five months ago.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Um so we, there was, the first two are domestic concerns, the, the supply chain, and I focused on a difficult area of supply chain, semiconductors. So there are many, many supply chain issues, and of course, inflation is an overall macro concern. Let's let's go a little global now, and we can never forget the importance of global demand for U.S. manufacturing prospects. And actually, the global question is fairly easy right now because it focuses on China. China is a rapidly changing. Situation: China is is you know really becoming the magnet for for you know uh, for global tensions, for global economic change. But I, I can ask a simple question: China's third quarter gross domestic product growth was really a downside surprise, coming in at just four point nine percent above year ago levels. You and I both remember when you know Chinese uh, economic growth was ten percent plus. So I'm going to ask, could the slowdown in China that we seem to be seeing now be a harbinger of slowing global growth and, there's, and thus slowing U.S. manufacturing demand? Are we seeing risks from China and from the broad global picture?
1: I'm an optimist when it comes to the global environment, largely because I think that as we move into 2022, you'll start getting a sense of normalcy as it relates to the virus, right? Right. Um, I think the big challenge right now is that we don't have enough vaccinations going around, not just in the U.S., but in a lot of other markets. Hopefully, by the time we get to next year, you'll see continued growth in terms of vaccinations. Um, You're already seeing folks going out and getting out, and and I think the the overall estimates for growth next year are certainly better than this year. So you're going to continue to see rebounds in the economy as folks get out and about and spend more, right? So I think – in general, I, I would agree with some of the IMF and World Bank assessments for next year, That I, not just for the U.S., but I would expect us to continue to recover uh, from, from the very severe downturn. Um, now, with that said, um, number one, uh, third quarter growth for GDP is going to be weaker than we, than we certainly would have predicted, say, a month or two ago, right? Where I think estimates for growth for the third quarter are anywhere from about 1.5% to 3% uh, or so. Uh, I'm probably more on the upper end of that that range, but but you know, we would have predicted, you know, 5 or 6% growth for third quarter GDP just you know, a couple months ago. And I think the, the big culprit there is uh, the spread of the Delta variant uh, and the fact that we had some pullbacks in activity as a result of that, uh, and obviously, as we mentioned earlier, the supply chain challenges. And so I think that you're going to get a weaker third quarter reading when we get it uh, in a couple days, largely because of some of those weaknesses. Uh, and as it relates to China, you know, I've long argued that China, uh, as goes China, so goes at least the rest of Asia, um, uh, and, and, and you see it play into the larger global picture as well. You're seeing COVID cases really hit, uh, all of Asia, especially including China, which is slowing their overall growth. You're having supply chain issues in China, which are affecting their ability to, to produce. And you're also having energy issues, right, uh, and so much so that they have, even though they're trying to wean themselves off of coal, they've had to, to uh, reintroduce coal or import some more coal to be able to um, meet the energy demands that they have. And so you have some, some red flags there uh, that I think are notable. I think the bigger red flag that I have is this whole Evergrande real estate bubble, potentially. Okay. So that's the thing that I'm watching um, because I do think that, that that is certainly the bigger red flag that's out there. Uh, yet overall, I think as it relates to the global economy, I'm, I'm pretty. You know me, you know Cliff. I'm always a glass half full guy. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I I do I do expect us to continue to see growth next year. Uh, and so I, my, if I were to err on any side, I would say that you know growth might be stronger than than we might like, which again puts pressure on the Fed to for our, our earlier conversation.
0: Mm -hmm. One thing, I mean, we've been, you know, as analysts, we've been challenged by having to follow the virus, and yet... It is certainly receding right now in the United States, but you mentioned the, uh, the, you know, some resurgence in Asia, but also other spots. I'm concerned. You have to be at least a little concerned about other spots around the world. The UK is seeing yes. a serious surge in COVID. India, Russia is seeing, for whatever reason, is seeing a serious surge. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think the yep. virus, even though it's much better in the U.S., at least globally still looms as a risk.
1: I agree with that. And I think the big unknown that's out there is, yes, we're we're improving from Delta. Delta certainly, as I noted, is hitting a lot of markets really hard, especially Vietnam and Thailand and and pockets of Asia. Um, But you have new variants that are hitting other countries. You mentioned the U.K. That's that's a couple of new variants. And I think that's the big unknown that's out there is what other variant is going to hit us. Hopefully with increased vaccination rates and with boosters when we start getting those, um, we can, you know, at least make each successive variant that much less uh, effective, right, in in tackling some of our challenges. Um, And so that's, you know, but yes, I I agree. And you certainly see the the impact of the Delta variant on retail sales, for instance, uh, in the third quarter. People who are wanting to get out and about and spend, uh, you you saw a retrenchment there as as some new restrictions had to be put in place. And globally, you're seeing some very large impact from COVID, uh, especially in Asia and the U.K. and other markets, as you know.
0: All right. So we we discussed three very big um, risk factors for next year. Supply chain, particularly semis in manufacturing, inflation. Some, some concern about China vis-a-vis its third quarter GDP growth, though I think you certainly helped to allay it in a, in a broader sense. Let, let's go with, to what may, may be a, uh, some building strength here. And prior, and you mentioned the Delta variant, so prior to the Delta variant spike, we were witnessing what we think anyway is a resurgence of equipment investment in the United States and around the world. That had been a weak, particularly in the U.S., that had been a weak factor And the economic growth picture in the U.S. So let me ask you, let's let's be positive on COVID. With COVID cases receding, particularly in the United States, not everywhere, but certainly in the United States right now, do you think that what we saw as a CapEx spike um, will continue? And if so, what's it going to mean for the uh, U.S. manufacturing outlook?
1: So we're looking – when you look at um, non-defense capital spending, excluding aircraft, um, which is a nice – is core capital goods or kind of a proxy for capital spending, uh, as you know, we're actually hitting all-time highs in that measure, right? Um, right. And, and to me, that, that's a sign that companies and businesses in general are reinvesting in themselves. I mean, the other one – I know we're going to talk about the labor market again in a second. The other, other number that kind of hits that same chord to me are the job postings numbers, right? So most of those, to me, are a sign businesses that businesses are investing capital and human capital, and that's a nice positive thing, obviously, for the economy and for us to be able to recover from this pandemic. Um, and I think that, you know, and you and I have talked about this as well, I, I, companies are investing very heavily in disruptive technologies right now. They're looking at technology as a way to address that skill shortage. They're looking at it as a way of increasing overall productivity and competitiveness. And I don't see that going away. And, in fact, if anything, I, what I've seen is some of the trends that we saw going into this pandemic were really doubled down on during the pandemic. And, and you know, one of those was supply chain management, which obviously is, is a hot-button issue right now. The other one is those is, is, is investments in technology. And, and, I, and I think the companies are going to continue to do that. Um, capital spending is almost certainly going to be a beneficiary of of that, especially as it relates to uh, equipment and IT. Um Structures not so much um, but i but yes i'm i'm pretty I'm pretty upbeat that you're going to continue to see some pretty strong growth in capex, maybe not the stratospheric levels that we're seeing in core capital spending over the last few months, but I do expect it to remain pretty elevated
0: now we're going to talk about the labor market uh because it is uh you know it was nice to have one strength there. But now we have to talk about another major disruption that manufacturers are are facing, even beyond supply chain and infla- infla- and inflation. Now, look, while labor market disruptions are a part of the uh, the current economic picture, there's certainly there's certainly nothing new to U.S. manufacturers. They U.S. manufacturers have been dealing with skill shortages for many many years. But uh, so I'll ask you just a very general question. Has the pandemic made the skills shortage, human capital shortage, worse for U.S. manufacturers? Are U.S. manufacturers now confronting a higher level of labor market stress or, or new kinds of labor market
1: stress? Well, you know, certainly, it, it, you know, we have 870,000 uh, job openings in manufacturing. We're seeing record levels of quits, not just in the manufacturing sector, but elsewhere. But I think that the, the the aspect that is making it more difficult is that we've lost, you know, roughly 4 million Americans in the labor market during this pandemic. Um, many of them left, um perhaps because of child care and, and schooling issues. Uh, you've seen particularly women and minorities and especially uh, uh, folks with less than a bachelor's degree really get hit hard here. And I, and I think a lot of that has to do with, uh, you know, those issues of flexibility and, and concern about their own overall health, right, um, uh, and you've seen, even though you've seen that number tick up a little bit, it's still well below pre-pandemic levels, right, in terms of the overall labor force participation rate. Um, you know, certainly you've also continued to hear, at least we, we always hear it all the time about the unemployment insurance issue and whether that forced folks to sit on the sidelines. Um, and even though we've seen wages go up very substantially in, in manufacturing, we saw manufacturing wages for production workers go up 5.1%. Over the last 12 months, you know, the, the strongest increase uh, in, in almost 40 years. Um, overall, I think most, most economists would tell you that the labor force, has not, you've not really seen the size of the labor force kick up that much as a result of these wage increases, which is actually begs the issue of, uh, you know, I was talking to one manufacturer who says they're gonna have to raise wages pretty significantly again in 2022 and hope that uh, gets more folks off the sidelines. And so I think that's, therein lies the challenge. Um, I think you probably also had a lot of retirees who just simply, you know, said, "Okay, I'm out." Right? <laughs> um, uh, and so, uh, you and I have been talking about labor force shortages for a long time, Cliff. Um, so this is not a new issue for us. Uh, it's certainly a structural one, uh, but it's, it's not something that's going to be solved overnight. And, and you know, the reality is that every sector I talk to is, is having trouble finding workers at this point, and so that's again going to continue to put upward pressure on wages. And make it much more difficult for manufacturers to find talent.
0: That's going to be a topic for a, a, a very long time. And it, what the, the counter in the it sort of in the uh, you know the, the discussion uh, atmosphere out there, every time you get into this discussion, you, people talk about automation. There's uh, U.S. manufacturers companies solving it with automation, but. Automation can only go so far in solving the problems that they're seeing right now. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. I mean, what we've typically heard is that automation helps those workers become more productive, right, so that it's more of an enhancement uh, to overall workforce. It's not really the substitute that I think folks I think, see it sometimes in the mainstream media. It's much more of an assist. My view as it relates to overall labor market challenges is it makes it that much more difficult to find workers, right? Because as you continue to make manufacturing that much more technologically advanced, it um, mm-hmm. just makes it that much harder for you to find those types of, you know, of workers. It increases the necessity for a higher skilled worker in terms of skill. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so let's, you know, we we really want to focus on on your forecast with all, all of the, with this, all of this turmoil that we've been discussing so i'm going to simply ask amidst these supply chain inflation labor market turmoil us manuf the latest data and the latest report from the federal reserve on industrial production was not very encouraging with us manufacturing performance us manufacturing output has now contracted in three of the last four reported months and that re- really even raises the question of the forecast uh, all the more intensely. So, what yeah. is your 2022 outlook for U.S. manufacturing growth?
1: Well, obviously, we've got to get past the supply chain issues, right? Uh, and again, that's going to that's going to take at least into Q, Q1 or Q2. I mean, even even with the declines that we've seen um, in the last few months, manufacturing production is still going to increase roughly 6%, maybe a little bit less than 6% this year. So that's the average production in 2020 versus the average production in 2021. That's a still a, a pretty strong number, largely a function of just the rebound, right? As you move into next year, and that's more or less also where I see GDP falling, is just, just shy of 6%. Uh, next year, uh, similar story, uh, as it relates to, to manufacturing production and GDP is somewhere just south of, of 4%. Um, and then as you move into 2023, you know, roughly 2 or so percent. Um, so continuing to see some rebounds in the economy over, over this year and next year, even with those pretty significant challenges that we mentioned earlier, uh, and then kind of getting back to some kind of normal uh, rate of around two uh, two or so as you move into twenty twenty three and twenty twenty four
0: thank you for that final question for chad motre chad in the aftermath of the pandemic and this goes along with what we just discussed, will the turmoil in labor markets and supply networks accelerate the digitalization of manufacturing supply chains and some people even talk are even talking about the datafication of supply chains and will it also accelerate the implementation of new technologies on the factory floor are we going to see a structural change not just not just one that's you know meant to solve these big short-term labor market gaps but is, is manufacturing going to structurally change as a result of the turmoil that swirling around it right now.
1: Well, you continue to see, you know, just manufacturing has just changed night and day over the last decade or so. Uh, and, and those those investments in technology that I spoke about earlier are going to continue to just accelerate in the coming years. And I And I think you're seeing some groundbreaking investments now, as it relates to, uh, to artificial intelligence and machine learning, as it relates to augmented reality and the ability to train people on the spot, right, and if something goes wrong, or to, to identify a mistake when it, as it's happening, right, so you can improve overall quality. Uh, connected technologies, I think, certainly allows manufacturers to be able to track a product after it's sold and, and maybe help, you know, guide the customer in, in terms of, of, of maybe services that they can deliver down the line. So you're going to continue, as, as I see it, number one, to see more technologies continue to get introduced on the shop floor. That's going to continue to in, to change overall innovation and quality. It's going to change the way overall production occurs, right, uh, uh, reducing the overall number of errors, right. Uh, uh, but also uh, you'll see a, a blurring of the lines between manufacturing and services as technology allows manufacturers to go into areas that they weren't in before, Um, And so I think all of these things are going to continue to to dramatically change the way we think about manufacturing, the way innovation happens, the way work work happens on the shop floor. Uh, And so, yes, that's going to change pretty dramatically. And and I'm pretty bullish about the sector, I think, as you move over the next five, ten years just because of many of these changes. But at the same time, it means you also need a smarter workforce. It means your existing workforce needs to be trained more frequently, right, so they can be able to handle these new technologies. Uh, and and if anything, it also exacerbates that skills gap challenge, as I mentioned earlier, because you need a different type of worker than you might have needed, you know, ten by ten years ago. Uh so that's going to affect the type of people you hire, but also um, the training that has to happen uh, for for companies.
0: Chad Motre, you gave us your time, you gave us your expertise. Thank you once again for joining me today.
1: Well, thank you, Cliff. I'll do it. I'm looking forward to doing it again.
0: And to our talk radio audience, these are issues that are only going to grow in size and scope as we move through this history-making period. Here at Talk Radio, we're going to follow them carefully for the benefit of our audience going forward through a tough and and often confusing time. This is Cliff Waldman saying. We'll see you next time.